Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Tales from the Rift. In just a minute, you'll be listening to part one of our interview with legendary director Tom Holland. But first, I wanted to let you all know that we are honored to be Rue Morgue Magazine affiliates. And right now for spooky season, if you head on over to rue-morgue.com slash subscriptions, you'll get an awesome deal if you enter in our affiliate code PP23 at checkout. Everyone, thanks again for tuning in as usual, and welcome to part one of our interview with Tom Holland. Hello, welcome to Tales from the Rift. I'm Jen. I play the news reporter August Potts on the scripted podcast series Portalville. And I'd like to thank Body Count Clothing for sending us some awesome t-shirts for spooky season. Check them out at bodycountclothing.com. They have some sales going on right now. Uh, And I'm John. I write and produce the show. And I also star as Jack Redshirt in the uh, season two scripted series. And I got to announce, we are now Rue Morgue Magazine affiliates. So check out rue-morgue.com slash subscriptions. If you use our code PP23 at checkout, I think you get some more discounts. There's always some like heavily discounted uh, subscriptions right now for Halloween. So mm-hmm. go check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So today we have a very special guest coming through the rift. Um, legendary director of several iconic horror films, um, Child's Play, Fright Night, very popular, Psycho 2. Please welcome Mr. Tom Holland. Uh, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for asking me. <laughs> appreciate it. And you've been nice and patient while we do our little uh, sponsor plugs, too. So thank yes. you. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I think that I think we're... We're all marketing, you know. I mean that 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 seems to be part of social media today. I have a I have a book coming out for Halloween called Oh Mother, What Have You Done? Which is the uh the making of Psycho Two. Oh which nice. I'm, I'm very, very proud of and I put a lot of work into and I have a long story about it, but I'll 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 let you get started with before I go into my pitch. Yeah, we'll circle back around to that. We'll ask all the questions. Oh, about definitely, because there's a couple other books I want to make sure mm-hmm. you plug too that you've done. Yeah. Um. So I think let's start with Fright Night because that was like your first horror film, right? <clears throat> and I know at the time you were making it, I read that um, Hollywood wasn't really keen on vampire movies. So can you tell us about your journey, like making that film and how it kind of actually turned into a huge success? You know, it's a cult classic now. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, I've I've been working for years. Uh, I was an actor for years. And then for for reasons that I I sometimes wonder why I did it, I, I, well, I, I, oh, boy, it's a long story. I was in the actor's studio, and it had a playwrights unit. And I'm back in the, I'm back longer, I'm back before you were born. And uh, the, I started, I started, they would, we had a writers group, and they would they would take their plays, and they would put them up on the stage at the actor's studio with actors from there. And I started doing it as actors, and I found myself thinking. And they would direct the playwright would direct, and I was I was thinking to myself, no, you don't want to block us that way. You want to block it this way. And no, the scene really isn't the conflict really isn't identified right. 
And I started thinking that way. And all of a sudden, I realized that, that, that I thought I could direct better than, than a lot of the playwrights. And that was a moment in time after 1968 when Easy Rider came out. And Easy Rider blew the business up. It, 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 it sent a tremor throughout Hollywood in the studio system where they no longer felt confident in, in what they were choosing to make movies about. And for, for, for a period there of maybe close to 10 years, you really had a chance to get original screenplays done. And before that, you know, you go to a restaurant and everybody, you know, was either, every waiter or waitress was an aspiring actor or actress. And then after about, by the end of the 70s, every, every, every server had a script under their arm. You know, that's, that's how much it changed. And I, I wanted to direct and the way to direct uh, at that moment in time seemed to be to get to become a writer and get and, 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 and get an original get original screenplay done. And I I started writing screenplays and uh, I really would have preferred to have written novels, but I couldn't do it. So I, 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 I wrote screenplays, too. And uh, I finally had my first job in 1977. It was a TV movie called Initiation of Sarah, which has been remade, I think, three times. Oh, wow. And then finally, after, oh, gosh, I, I did this about six years of work. I finally got my first movie done, and it was called The Beast Within if either one of you know that. And uh, I was absolutely thrilled. I, I was sole credit, original screenplay. And uh, it was United Artists. And it was released in 1979 or 1980, just as United Artists went bankrupt in the in, in crashing with, uh, with the Michael Cimino movie. Uh, 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 Help me out, dance. You know, it was the huge movie that Chimino did, coming off of the off of the success of uh, of the Vietnam movie. Boy, it's right on the tip of, tip of my tongue. Anyway, the wreckage buried the Beast Within. So the Beast Within came out and it made money, and it was the last release of United Artists before it went bankrupt, and nobody knew. So it was like it had never happened. So I was, you know, I was after, you know, after a good five, six years of starving to death and writing and, and, and taking whatever acting jobs I could to make some money. I finally had my first screenplay and I thought, oh, great. You know, now I'll start getting more work. And instead, uh, Heaven's Gate it was the crash of Heaven's Gate that okay. took down United Artists. And that story buried the success of uh, of the beast within. And so I was bereft, I mean, heartbroken. Uh, that's another word for saying depressed. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was, I was well into my 30s by then. And I don't know what it's been like for you. But, you know, usually, if you're if you're a guy, and you know, and if you hit 40, and you haven't figured out a way to make a living, you know, it, it, 
it's getting really hard out there, especially if you have a wife and, and a child. Hello there. And uh, I was I didn't work for a year. And then I I got offered by a by a director named Richard Franklin, an Australian director, Psycho Two. And this was before they sequelized everything. And this was long before they, they remade everything. And what what was going on was that everybody knew that anybody who directed that movie or who wrote the sequel to Psycho, it was a career ender. Yeah, at that moment in time, Richard Hitchcock, I mean Alfred Hitchcock was 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 a, a huge icon. You know, it, 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 it was like it was like profanity. It was like against to think about remaking a, a sequel to Psycho, which by that time was recognized as the great the great horror movie. And in truth, it was it was the beginning of the slashers. It it it, it changed the way you the way you did horror, not only because yeah. it was graphic, but but because it was it wasn't that graphic, but the 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 brilliance of, of Mr. Hitchcock was in was the shower scene, for instance. I forget how many cuts there were in that, but he took like five or six days just to shoot the shower scene to get all those cuts. And it, it was put together in a way that I had never seen before. You gotta remember that 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 up till then I'd grown up with AIP and Hammer, you know, and AIP was a ripoff of Hammer. And all of that was was heavily saturated in terms of color and very, very traditionally shot. They were wide shots because they, they always had a great mansion for things to happen in, you know, but uh, it was it was a wide shot, you know, a closer shot, maybe at a two shot, maybe over the shoulders, maybe, maybe an insert, but but very, very unusual. So in other words, what I'm saying, horror films up till up till Psycho, which was 1960 or 61, the the it had been they were visually very static, mm -hmm. even though they were great fun. And because there there was, it's hard to it's hard for younger people to imagine. But there there was no horror. This is this is my friend Finian, which is Irish for friend. And, and a werewolf huge. coming in. Yeah, yeah, he's huge. Yeah, the uh, he's huge. The anyway, it it psycho changed horror. It changed what people thought of as horror. Number one, you know, you killed off your your lead. You know, about a little bit more than thirty, about maybe forty percent of the way through the movie, and you never kill off your lead. Yeah. But when they killed, you know, Janet Leo, it was like like mind blowing, and the the level. It worked both on a on a visual, a visual level with with uh, with slasher level with the, with the, with the knife, but it also worked psychologically. So it had, it, in other words, it was it was character driven, even though it was horrifying in a in a in a, in a very visual, gut level way that had never been done before, and that opened it all up. No psycho, no Halloween. You know, no, 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 Freddy, no Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, none of the things that we now, now think of as you know as as as, as horror. And so the idea of remaking, or not remake, but making a sequel to, to, to Psycho was considered apostasy. It was, it you knew you were going to get savaged by the critics, 
for having the temerity to do that. And Richard Franklin was an Australian, and he was he was he had also gone through USC just after that that grouping that was George Lucas, but it, but he was he was at USC when it was like the place to be, and he was a he was a Hitchcock fanatic. I mean, you know, but he was he was also a brilliant filmmaker. He had done Patrick in Australia, and he'd done Road Games, and Road Games is probably probably the best horror movie that's ever come out of out of out of uh, out of Australia. Uh, Quentin Tarantino thinks so too. The uh, anyway, he read a spec script of mine and asked me to come in, and we met. And whatever it was, I must have said the right things or whatever. But he hired me. Now this is this is this is after everybody in Hollywood had he'd met like fifteen or twenty screenwriters, and with much bigger credits than mine, who were also willing to risk their careers by trying a, a sequel to 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 the to, to, to Psycho. But I got the job. And everybody told me, and they also told Richard that we would never work in Hollywood again because yeah. the ch the chances of making a movie that, that 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 a people would like and go to see, and b that that the critics wouldn't savage were like nil, you yeah. know. So so it was it was a career ender, but at the same time. I hadn't worked for a year, and I I was desperate, but I was I I was also Psycho was a huge event in my film going life. Yeah, I mean I'd watched it when I was like twelve, thirteen, I think, and I I sat that in the theater, slumped down on my seat with my hands in front of my eyes and peering through my fingers. It was that scary. Yeah, and uh, so we got the job. And it was a cable movie. This is just when cable's coming in. If you look at the credits on Psycho 2, you'll see Oak Communication is among is, is right on is a producer. So we were going to be a cable movie, not a feature film. And cable movies were like TV movies then, but not as good. Okay. Okay. Because nobody really knew what cable was yet. Like think think it's like streaming now. Yeah. You know, nobody nobody knows what they're doing. The uh, well, and... I will say though that the stand was a TV movie. I think it was like three parts or something, and I loved that. that was... I was in it as an actor. What? What did you whoa. play? Whoa, 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 yeah, Mick. Bombshell. Mick, yeah, Mick <laughs> Garris. Mick Garris uh, directed that, and I was offered that as a as a as a feature film by Warner Brothers. This was long after when I'd become a, you know, a hot uh, writer-director. And I didn't see any way to... They wanted to do it as a feature film, but it was like two and a half hours as a feature film, and there was no way. It had to be a miniseries. So I, I turned it down, and that story is how I ended up doing Thinner. But, uh, and, I love Thinner. And I, yeah, and it, it's a good book, too. Thank you. That We can talk about that. But anyway... So what happened with Psycho 2 was we didn't have Tony Perkins. And 
Psycho 2 without Norman was would never have seen would never gotten into a theater house. So the challenge was for me was how to write a script that would entice Tony to come back and do Norman Bates again. And in order to do that, I had to figure out a character arc and a script that was actor oriented. So he couldn't turn it down because the part was too delicious. Yeah. And I didn't find this out till later. And when I read Richard Franklin's memoirs, which are the basis of of, of, of my new book, uh, oh, oh, oh Mother, What Have You Done? But Tony wanted to direct. I didn't know that, which is a story of how I ended up directing three. But anyway, the uh, I, you knew one of the fascinating things that Hitchcock had did with the original Psycho was he gave you enough information that you realized that Norman had been driven crazy by his mother. Mm-hmm. And what was so odd about, about, about the original Psycho was that part of, of what you, were, you felt sorry for him, you know, for Norman Bates in the original. And so I thought, well, let's, let's, let's see if we can make Norman even more sympathetic and explain some of the reasons that he became a psychopathic murderer in Psycho 2. And that played into what had only been suggested in the original Psycho, which is you started to worry about Norman Bates and you started to feel sorry for him. And there's an ambivalence in what you're feeling as a, as a viewer of, of Psycho 2 because you're identifying with a serial murderer. Yeah. They, you know, they use a lot of that conflict in all the modern day movies too. You're seeing it carry through like, uh, like Michael, where you're like, oh my gosh, she's been abused as a child. But then again, he's going off and murdering people. So how do I feel? You know? Okay. Was that, was that, was that when they were doing that series? Was that already there or did they do it later on in the sequels? Uh, Later on. It was later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would think that's because of the influence of Psycho too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which you know, which all of a sudden opened up. You know, you know the idea of a of a of a murderer is as you start to realize how he was damaged. But right now we have a society which is also fascinated with victimization. You know, I mean, I mean, everybody's so busy being good. You know, it it's it's hard to get a villain going today. The uh, well, I didn't do that with with Chuck with Chucky though, did I? <laughs> he was he was just a, he was an sob from the beginning, all all four foot of him. The uh, anyway, so I I wrote this screenplay and I plotted it out with Richard, and I I put it on two by four cards, a number of which I have in the book, and you can see the creation of it, and we also. Richard had originally been turned had originally been turned on to the idea of a sequel when he appeared at some kind of, of, of gathering in Australia with Robert Block, who wrote the, the original novel and who wrote the sequel. And uh, 
we were Universal hated the sequel so much that neither Richard nor I were ever allowed to read it for legal purposes because they didn't want Block to sue us. But what Block did was about on page 30, he killed off Norman, which was like, a, a, in terms of a commercial mistake, was disastrous. Yeah. But Robert Block had the idea in his sequel that it was 22 years later. It wasn't like next week later, it was 22 years later. And Richard and I both liked that idea, and that's what we did with, with Psycho 2. It's 22 years later, and Norman Bates is coming home. You know that that's a that's a great you know tagline, the uh, and so I wrote wrote that I explained explaining Norman and I gave him a relationship with Meg Tilly, the girl in it, who starts to care for him, and then of course later on you find out that she's the daughter of the sister of the woman he killed in the original Psycho, and they're they're plotting to drive Norman insane again, that Norman comes out of the institution and he is sane, but he's holding on with, with both with, with both hands, trying to hold on to his sanity. It isn't, it isn't that solid, you know what I mean? So they're driving him insane. And what that leads to is that, is that Psycho 2 is a tragedy in a way. And Norman Bates comes out as sane and he slowly starts to lose it. And this 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 girl who who who's there to, to, to drive him crazy starts to to care for him, not because she's falling in love, but because he's a he's a, she understands his plight. And he's he's for, for this time he's a very decent human being. And I was able to get the relationship going between the two of them where she cares for him and he cares for her. And so you you're you're feeling you're feeling really bad for Norman. And at the end of Psycho 2, Norman has not killed anybody all the way through. But they've been killing or his her mother of uh, 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 the actress who was terrific, the Hitchcock actress, Vera Miles, has been it seems like she's been knocking people off, but that doesn't make a lot of sense either. But at the very end we find out that that Norman that, that the killing has been done by Norman's real mother, who was working with him in, in the diner. And Norman at the very, very end is now totally mad. And nobody knows that the police every they all think that it was that it was Vera Miles and Meg Tilly that were doing the killings. But no, it's been his it's been his real mother. And Norman at the end, totally mad, kills his mother. And that was a huge shock. And what made that that movie so impactful was at the very end, he picks up that shovel and slams it across her head and kills her right in the kitchen. And I can't tell you, you saw that with the preview audience like I did a number of times. That was like such a shocking ending you know, and, and horrifying at the same time because you'd come to care for Norman. Yeah. And and also you'd, you'd come to care for Meg Tilly, who was just terrific in it too, you know, innocent and sweet. Uh, but anyway, that movie turned out to be a huge success. Not only critically, the critics had their knives out 
to ab absolutely savage it, and they couldn't. I think because because the acting was so good, especially Tony Tony Perkins yeah. and Richard Franklin did a brilliant job with 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 the way he shot it. If if, if you look at it, it's, it's it's shot like Hitchcock. It's one overhead shot after another. I mean, it really echoes not only the not only the story that was set up in the original Psycho, but also the Hitchcockian sense of, of, of shooting and suspense and how to build suspense. Anyway, it was it was a huge success. I think it was the second biggest. In fact, I know it was. It was the second biggest movie in the summer of 1982 nice. after the first sequel to Star Wars. So, I mean, think how big Psycho 2 yeah. must have been to be, you know, just almost almost up there with with with, with whatever the, the the sequel was called, the Star Wars, and it 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 opened up and started the 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 the, the sequel to uh, to the the Psycho Legacy, I think they call it now, and I, I and I'm giving another plug. I I have no uh, commercial interest in this, but Arrow, Arrow is coming out with 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 five. With with five DVDs of the whole series now, and you had a brilliant, <clears throat> you had an excellent uh, television series by uh, by Anthony uh, mm, 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 out of my head right now, the Bates Motel, which was a prequel with with Norman's relationship as a young man with his mother that explains even more of it. Uh, Cipriani, Anthony Cipriani, the. Uh, so I mean, all of this was because of this. It's been now, oh, Christ, forty years, you know, that that because of the success of Psycho Two, and I, it seemed to me that it really made my career. The success of Psycho Two it really opened the doors for me, which allowed me to eventually get to direct and write and direct Fright Night. Mm -hmm. But it 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 also changed changed it was an it, it redefined horror again by mm -hmm. making by by driving it into an area of 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 relationships and and character as opposed to just you know plot oriented or you know or, or kills you know now that doesn't mean that there that there weren't all those other movies through there that were you know that were knocking off sequential people but Psycho 2 had more to it than just that. Uh, so it was, it was an amazing experience. And then what happened was, it seemed to me like everybody forgot about Psycho 2. You know, I mean, they certainly knew of it in 1982, but I'll tell you, by 1990, I mean, I didn't have any sense that anybody remembered it. Because I think that all of these things get buried in the sequels which is also i can make that argument about 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 child's play because because chucky's now had you know 35 years or whatever it is yeah. you know of all of that so people forget the movie that began it exactly. uh, but anyway the, the same thing sort of happened with psycho too but then this was the 40th anniversary this this summer we're now in september so i guess you could say this past summer but all of a sudden, there was an explosion of love for Psycho 2. And a lot of it was critical. And even in, in Scream 7, 
they said, what's, what's the best horror sequel ever done? And both the kids said Psycho 2 at the same time. You know, so I mean, when that means you've really got entered popular culture when that yeah. happens. You know, that that's true recognition. Yeah. Uh, you know? Timeless. So yeah. So that that got me started about thinking about how did all of that happen? Maybe there's interest in in the creation of Psycho 2 out there that maybe I could do a book. And then about four or five months months ago, Richard Franklin passed in in 2007, and uh, I I had seen him and his wife up to then. Whenever they came through L.A., my wife and I had them over and that kind of thing. But uh, he died of cancer, comparatively young. I think he was 60, 59, and Shame. yeah, and then. All of a sudden, uh, a book arrives at my house by by digital, 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 and it was Richard Franklin's memoir, and I had no idea that he'd written it. But as as he was as he was getting sicker and sicker, he sat down and he wrote his memoirs, which is really a history of of his films, and. I, the biggest chunk in it was Psycho 2. And I read it, and I can't tell you what, it, what, a, what an, emo an emotional experience it was for me. It was like stepping back 40 years ago and being 37 or 38 or 30, 30, whatever I was then, and stepping off a cliff with Richard to try to to try to do Psycho Two with all these people telling us it was the ends of our career, and uh, and and how that happened and everything else. When I'm reading all this from Richard, and it it was it was it was like he was there in the room, and then I then I talked to Andrew London, who was the editor of Psycho Two, and the only two that are still here with us are me. And Andrew that were that were that were creatively involved with with the with the making of Psycho too, and so I put together. So I started whenever when Richard was writing about it with his memories, I would then come in with my memories, and then Andrew London would come in and and speak the truth <laughs> because he remembered uh, he's an editor, you know, and not he not only did the the visual but also the sound editing. But I mean, they're very, they're sticklers for facts, editors, you know, they're yeah. down there to how many counting frames, you know, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden I had this, this book and it, it's written by Richard Franklin and me and Andrew London. And then the afterward is Anthony Cipriani from, from Bates Motel. And it reads like we're all there sitting at a table doing a symposium, you know, and and Richard's been gone for, uh, uh, for, for uh, sixteen years, you know, and so it it's 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 got a, a disconcerting element to it too. But anyway, I I think it on a on a and it's full of stuff like you know the storyboards and the beat sheets and you know and the 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 the, the some of the press kit some of the the, the PR releases and everything, but. It's the it's the way we we went about doing it 
when we were all terrified that we were going to fail. You mm -hmm. know, there, there, there was, there's nothing in it that's this like, oh, my God, look at us. Aren't we wonderful? It's all like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to do this? And, you know, and the amount of work that went into it, because we I don't know if I've ever worked this hard on a script before in my life, because we were all so terrified. You know, there's nothing in that script that I know of that isn't justified by the given facts and the original psycho that hit the Hitchcock and Joe Savano did. And it's just it's, it's just been a. A look back and a trip back for me too, and a memory of 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 of, of what it was like, you know, at, at that moment in the business for me and for all of us. So that's been sort of amazing. Uh, been, it's also been very emotional, you know. I mean, I I I I, I had a I liked I admired Richard terribly, and I liked him sometimes, but not always. But anyway, you know, that, that's. That's working with the director. The good thing about being a writer and not directing, though, is the director's in front of you for all the slings and arrows that come your way. So anyway, that that's the story of that. And what that did is that that led immediately into Cloak and Dagger, which also has been a bit forgotten, but I think it's just terrific, especially if you were an adolescent boy and caught it on on rotation on cable which is what happened in the, in the 90s into the early 2000s and when i then uh, that cloak and dagger am i talking too much you should no. have a chance no i should be asking you about what you're well, no, we, we enjoyed hearing it i did want to ask a question though um so for psycho you know Al alfred hitchcock i wanted to ask if you brought any sort of like inspiration or elements from like Hitchcock, like style into your own sort of like directing and writing. If you've sort of like, if you've got any sort of inspiration from him or from any, anyone else. Yes. And that concludes part one of our interview with Tom Holland. Head on over to part two, if you dare.